Peace and peace to you, friends. Welcome to the Oak Tree Journeys. My name is Mandy Oaks, and this is the Encyclopedia Challenge. In fact, we are on episode 27 in our podcast in season one. And if you're on YouTube, you can see our quote of the month. Strength of mind is exercise, not rest by Pope. So that is our quote of the month. Now, um, thank you so much for joining me. If you are new uh, to the Encyclopedia Challenge, you may wonder, what is the Encyclopedia Challenge? I just don't get it. I don't understand. Do I need to have a set of encyclopedias? Do I need to go to Wikipedia? What's going on here? Well, to ease your mind, you don't have to own any encyclopedias at all. You don't need to go to Wikipedia or anything like that unless um, there is a word that just sparks your interest and you want to look at it closer. And I definitely encourage you to do that. Uh, This podcast is for anyone who enjoys words, anyone who has ever wanted to read the entire encyclopedia and just doesn't have the time, and you searched and searched and you just couldn't find anything to read it to you, uh, which is what happened to me. That's why um, I started doing this, and I love it. I love this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I love my listeners, and I just appreciate it. I appreciate that you're choosing to listen to the encyclopedia with me. And I've learned a lot. I hope you have too. And uh, I do have one thing to say. Whenever we talked about Isaac Adams or Adams, Isaac last week, um, if you don't recall who that is, um, he invented the Adams Power Press in 1828, um, which is really, really cool. Um, But I also mentioned my friend um, who does hand-carved prints. And they're very complicated. They're very intricate. It's artwork. Well, I forgot to mention her website. Her name is Courtney. And I have a room full of her art um, that she does with with a very specific type of press. Uh, I won't get into it, but her website uh, is mudpuppymoon.com. And on her website, she explains her entire process. And uh, she has her some of her art for sale. Uh, So I encourage you, if you are interested in art or just interested in a new way um, of doing art, or I think it's new, I'm not an artist, Um, but it's really cool, Um, check check her website out. It's mudpuppymoon.com, and that's mud, M-U-D, puppy, P-U-P-P-Y, moon, M-O-O-N.com. So mudpuppymoon.com, no spaces. And just check out her website. Uh, she's a very talented artist. Uh, so that's uh, who I failed to mention. So sorry about that, Courtney. <laughs> uh, but there you go. Now let's uh, go on. Now, as you know, we are going through two different encyclopedias. Uh, the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 and the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. And we are going to start with the 1909. That is our main source for now, unless I can find all the others, as I always mention. Um, But our first word is a name, and it's Aid, George, or George Aid. Now, he is listed in both encyclopedias. I am going to go through both encyclopedias. So let's start with the 1909 version, and then we'll see what the 1956 version has to say about him. So, Aid, George, was an American journalist and author. He was born Kentland, 
Kentland, Indiana, in 1866 on February 9th. He made his first mark as a writer of stories of the streets and the town in the Chicago News with a remarkable variety of motive and local reporters' knowledge. Published Artie, made up from these, and in 1897, the dialect story Pink Marsh in 1901 to 1902, two sets of fables in slang, full of pungent wit and knowledge of the less agreeable phrases of human character. Now, that may be worth getting. Uh, So if anyone has heard of him or heard of fables in slang, let me know. Uh, If you're on YouTube, go to the comments below. If you're on the podcast, please go to theoaktreejourneys.com and select contact. And let me know if you've ever heard of him. This sounds hilarious. I, I want to look look up fables in slang. And in 1903, the satirical comic opera The Sultan of Sulu, a musical comedy, Peggy from Paris, a political comedy, The County Chairman, a comedy of college life, The College Widow, and others. Well, that sounds pretty funny. Sounds like a really funny person. All right, let's see what a later version has to say with him. So say about him. So that's the 1909 version. So let's see what a later version says. Aid, George, American journalist and author, born Kentland, Indiana, February 9th of 1866, died in Brook, Indiana, May 16th, 1944. After receiving a BS degree from Purdue University in 1887, Aid worked on newspapers in Lafayette, Indiana until 1890 when he joined the staff of the Chicago Morning News which later became the record. His column in the record begun in 1893, in which he tried to portray realistically the city dwellers of the period, introduced the slangy, wisecracking characters who figured in his first books, Artie in 1896, Pink Marsh in 1897, Doc Horn 1899, Fables and Slang 1900, and the latter's two sequels. In the fables, his most successful work, Aid employed the form of Aesop's fables, they were full of pungent wit and each ended with a flip moral. See, it's getting, it's sounding funnier and funnier. Aid gave up newspaper work in 1900 and took a trip to the Orient. A meeting with Haji Muhammad Jumali Karam, Sultan of the Sulu Islands, provided the inspiration for his first venture in writing for the stage. His comic opera, The Sultan of Sulu, in 1902, enjoyed a long Broadway run. The most successful of his plays within music were The County Chairman in 1903 and The College Widow, 1904. Other plays included Just Out of College, 1905, The Bad Samaritan, 1905, Father and the Boys, 1907, and The Fair Coed, 1908. Among other writings were The Girl Proposition, 1902, People You Know, 1903, Breaking into Society, 1903, True Bills, 1904, in Pastures New, 1906, The Slim Princess, 1907, Knocking the Neighbors, 1912, Aids Fables, 1914, Handmade Observations, 19... Oh, no, wait, I'm sorry, Handmade Fables, 1920, Single Blessedness and Other Observations, 1922, Bang Bang, 1928, The Old Time Saloon, 1931, and 30 Fables in Slang, 1933. So, at the time of the 1909 writing he was still alive uh, and and going strong so that's why 
the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary did not have everything is because he was still alive and still writing. So that's pretty cool. I'm glad we have both versions. Um, so, if, again, if anyone has read any of his uh, stuff, let me know. And let's move on. Our next word or entry is another name. And I will be reading from both the 1909 and 1956 encyclopedias. And that is Addy, Alvi, A. And again, Addy, Alvi, A. Now let's start with the 1909. Uh, he was an American diplomat born Austeria, New York, 1842, November 27th, son of a fleet surgeon, was secretary of legation at Madrid in 1870 to 1877, charge d'affaires at different times, in 1878 became chief of the United States Diplomatic Bureau, in 1882 third assistant secretary of state, 1886 second assistant, which he still remains, so he was still alive at the time of this writing. He was secretary of state ad interim, in 1898, September 17th through 29th, an acting secretary during some of the most acute Chinese troubles of 1900. Okay, so, so he was still alive, too, at the time of that writing. So let's see what a later version has to say about him. Um, and this one has his full name, Addy, Alvi Augustus, American diplomat, born Austeria, New York, November 27th, 1842. Died Washington, D.C., July 5th, 1924. So, wow. His service of nearly 55 consecutive years in State Department posts, 47 of them in Washington, indicate the esteem in which he was held by successive presidents and secretaries of state. He began his career as secretary to Minister Daniel E. Sickles at Madrid in 1869, then was secretary of legation 1870 to 1877, Secretary of State W.M. Everts made him Chief of the Diplomatic Bureau in 1878, Third Assistant Secretary of State in 1882. He was appointed Second Assistant in 1886, a post he held for 36 years. He set a high standard of style for State Department documents, drafting innumerable state papers. Secretary Hayes' nickname for him was Semper Paratus. So Semper Paratus. So he sounds like he was highly intelligent and very valuable. Um, to the United States. Okay, our next entry is Adim. And for that one, we go strictly to the 1909 New Imperial, Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary. And that is a verb. And it means in law to revoke, as in the case of a legacy, redemption noun, denotes a legal satisfaction that a legacy to a creditor extinguishes the debt. So that's Adim. Now, our next entry, which is our fourth entry, uh, for some reason is not in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary, but they can't include everything, so, so that's all right. And it's actually a queen. Uh, her name is Adelaide or Adelheide, or Height. Yeah, Adelheide. She was the Queen of Italy and Empress of the Holy Roman Empire. Born 931, died Celts, Alsace, December 16th of 999. So that's not the 1900s, that is the 900s. The daughter of Rudolf II of Burgundy, she married Lothar II, King of Italy, in 947. After her husband's death in 950, she was imprisoned by his successor, 
Berenger II. She escaped and married Otto I, King of Germany, in 951, and was crowned empress when he became head of the Holy Roman Empire in 962. Widowed in 973, she served as regent for her grandson, Otto III, from 983 to 991, jointly with her daughter-in-law, Empress Theophana, and from 991 to 996 alone. So, wow, she was busy. Can you imagine being a queen and an empress? That is a lot of responsibility. A lot. <laughs> All right, and our next entry and our last one um, before break is another Adelaide, and that is from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. So this is not a person, um, but it is a very long entry. And let's see. Adelaide, capital of the state of South Australia on the Torrens, seven miles from Port Adelaide, with which it is connected by railway. The first settlement was made in 1836, but already a university has been established at Adelaide and liberally endowed. Okay, and... The Torrens, which is spanned by several bridges, divides the town into North and South Adelaide. The streets of Adelaide are broad and regularly laid out, especially in Adelaide proper, to the south of the river, where they all cross each other at the right angles. Among the public buildings are the post office, the government offices, the governor's house, and the town hall. It is the seat of an Episcopal and of a Roman Catholic bishop, and has an unusual number of churches. Adelaide also has a large botanical garden, covering more than 120 acres of ground. The town is surrounded by a belt of permanently reserved land, half a mile in width, called the Parklands, and beyond this are the suburbs. Adelaide is abundantly supplied with water from two re reservoirs, six or seven miles distant. The chief manufacturer manufacturers are woolen, leather, iron, and earthenware goods, but the chief importance of Adelaide depends on its being the great emporium for South Australia. Port Adelaide, its haven, has a safe and commodious harbor, and in 1882, an ocean dock of 30 acres in extent was begun, capable of admitting the largest ships. Adelaide is the terminus of the direct telegraph line to London across Australia, and has telegraphic communication with the other colonies. The port of Adelaide is the nearest port of call for vessels arriving from Europe, either around the Cape or by the Suez Canal, and when the railway railway connection from with Melbourne now being pushed on its complete, passengers and mails for all parts of Australia may be landed here. Tramways for streetcars were introduced in 1878. Among other educational institutions are St. Peter's Episcopal College, St. Barnabas Theological College, opened in 1881, and Prince Alfred Wesleyan College, besides the chief religious Denominations here are represented Swedenborgians, Friends, Unitarians, and Jews. Population in 1901, 160,430. Alright, and with that, we sorry I had some technical difficulties, and we are going to break. See you soon. And welcome back. And our sixth word for today... Uh, comes from the Encyclopedia Americana, and that word is Adelard, or 
Ethelhard. So Adelard or Ethelhard. And again, these words will be up on the oaktreejourneys.com. Select Encyclopedia Challenge and scroll all the way to the bottom because they are in alphabetical order. And this entry says, English traveler and writer fled early 12th century. Little is known, well, I don't know if that's fled. It says FL. So early 12th century. Little is known of his life except that he was probably a native of Bath and that he traveled widely visiting Greece, Asia Minor, and Africa. He wrote Prodificalis Questions Naturals and the Edom at It Diverso, a philosophical allegory in which he sought to reconcile the theories of Plato and Aristotle. He made a Latin translation of Euclid's Element and of several Arab mathematical treatises. See Arithmetic, comma, History of. So in the Encyclopedia Americana, there's more about him in a completely different entry. And for our next entry, uh, it's a very long word. Um, I know I'm going to butcher it. I'll do my best not to. But for the next one, we will go to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. And before we move on to that dictionary, or encyclopedia and dictionary, I just wanted to say that today's um, entries are going to be less. So today's podcast is going to be shorter than last week's. Um, the last week's was over two hours. Uh, this one is going to be much shorter. Uh, we're only going to do 50 words, and I didn't know that before break. Um, before break, I only had five words printed off. Um, and so I finally have the other words printed, and we are only doing 50. And let's go on to this really, really long word. Um, it looks like I've marked the wrong place. So, Okay, here it is. Adelarth- Adele... Arthrosomata, noun, plural, an order of the arachnida comprising of harvest spiders, book scorpions, etc., same as pedipalpi. Okay, and harvest spiders um, are usually mistaken for, or at least harvest men spiders are usually mistaken for granddaddy long legs. So that's something to keep in mind. Okay, and the next entry we move back to the encyclopedia americana and let me check these off okay All right and that is adelphi adelphi comma the brothers the last and in the truthful portrayal of human nature perhaps the best of the six comedies of terence had its first performance in 160 B.C. That's right, 160 B.C. The action turns upon an old yet ever new problem, whether a policy of good-natured indulgence which, which seeks, though it does not always win, mutual confidence between father and son will lead to better results in the upbringing of young people than one of sternness and insistent preaching of duty. In the sequel, neither plan is successful. 
both of the young brothers, one of whom has been adopted by his uncle, comprise themselves by love affairs. Terence, as his admirers might conjecture in advance, favors the principle of the quote, golden mean end quote, in education as in all other things. But while his answer to the problem of this play is no clearer than life itself commonly affords, the advantage on the whole appears to lie with the theory that parental authority to be effective must rest upon a friendly understanding and a tactful allowance for the difference in the point of view of youth and age. The general idea is worked out in the great skill and abundant humor. The last act in particular is conceived in a spirit of drollery that is rare in Terence. Adelphi, like all of Terence's work, has had a great influence upon modern literature. Among the plays that are indebted to it may be mentioned Moliere's L'École des Maris, Barron's L'École des Pierce, Fagan's Le Pupil, Garrick's Guardian, Cumberland's Choleric Man, and Shadwell's Squire of Alsatia. So he's worth looking into. Um, so this is Wow, 160 BC. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So let's check that off. And I'm going to put a star by it because that's very interesting and I may look more into it. And remember, if there are any words um, that you, you find interesting that the encyclopedia or either encyclopedia does not dive into like you want to, look them up. If you need to know how to spell it, just go to theoaktreejourneys.com, look up Encyclopedia Challenge, and go to the podcast and uh, and look to see how you spell it, and then go and, and look it up. It's very, it's very fun, and I, I've learned a lot more by doing that than just um, reading one or two entries here and there. Okay, and the next entry is Adelphi or Delphi College in Brooklyn, New York, a co-educational, non-sectarian institution was incorporated by the Regents of the University of the State of New York in 1896, June 24th. It is intended to be a school of arts, a college of liberal culture. The requirements for admission and graduation are the same as those of the leading Eastern colleges. It is the only institution in Brooklyn in which a woman may obtain the usual bachelorette degrees. Now, that's interesting. Remember, this is the 1909 version, so that's pretty wild. It's the only institution in Brooklyn that a woman could obtain a bachelorette degree or a BS degree, as we say now. <laughs> Actually, no, it doesn't say science, does it? Okay. The curriculum is arranged sim semesterly and eight semesters are required for graduation. Well, that's not too bad. The courses in pedagogy are arranged so that the studies preparatory in the profession of teaching may all be taken as a part of the work offered for the degrees of Bachelor of Arts and Bachelor of Science. Okay, there we go. For the beginning of the college has always offered special facilities to students who wish to enter the profession of teaching. It also makes provision in afternoon, evening, and Saturday morning classes for teachers in public schools who desire to study for a degree without giving up their positions. Now that is pretty cool. 
I wonder if they were the only ones doing that. And they were just the leaders in it. Connected with the college are the Normal School for Kindergartners with a two years course organized in 1893. Wow, can you imagine spending two years in kindergarten? Um, not, not being withheld, not being held down, you know, held back into kindergarten, but that's just the course. Um, some of that might be needed. That might be the same as having preschool, then kindergarten. Uh, organized in 1803 and School of Fine Arts. The college reported in 1905 professors and instructors 26, students 500, volumes in the library 9,000. Delphi College maintains a preparatory or prep department known as the Delphi Academy, which has 50 instructors and 760 students. So that has more students than the actual college. The total value of the property and endowments of the college is $600,000. The total annual income is $118,000. And you know, that's, uh, we won't talk about inflation or anything like that with this. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. And the next entry is our 10th entry. And that is Adelsburg, which is a district and market town in Cornelia near the T, this is near the T, 22 miles northeast of Trieste is a large stalactite cavern, the Adelsberg Grotto, through which flows a rapid stream. This cavern, the largest in Europe, is divided into the old and the new grotto. The former is 858 feet in length, the latter 8,550 feet in length, contains some most Remarkable stalactites. I like caves. I don't, I don't get to visit caves very often. I think I've only been a couple of times, but uh, that is on my to-do list. They're very interesting. Okay, our next entry is a rather long one, or longer than we've had thus far. Not nearly as long as, as like, say, John Quincy Adams last week. <clears throat> oh, and before I read that entry, I just drank... A drink that I made myself. No, not Kool-Aid. Uh, <laughs> but um, before I tell you what drink it is, I stumbled upon these YouTube videos. Uh, I don't know why they started being suggested to me. No clue at all. But I like, sometimes I like YouTube suggestions. They're spot on. They're very interesting. Don't know how they get some of them sometimes. But I'm very glad that they sent them to me. Because I get things like this drink and it's called Switchel or Switzel and I got it from a YouTube video called Town Sins um, and it's they showed how to make Switchel and they said it's an 18th century drink um, and their name is Town T-O-W-N and then Sins S-E-N-D-S all one word Town Sins so if you're interested in 18th century cooking or living, or 17th century living, um, check those YouTube videos out. Uh, the drink itself uh, is made with water, molasses, apple cider vinegar, and ginger. This one's powdered ginger. There are several recipes online, 
but I found that the Townsend's recipe is actually the simplest. Um, I've never had it, never even heard of it before, but it's very interesting. I've been drinking on it all week and it only gets stronger. Um, there's it all, yeah, it only gets stronger. My concoction actually has a little bit of honey and some lime juice. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Uh, because I used blackstrap molasses, um, I didn't watch the video before I ordered molasses, and he said in the video not to use blackstrap molasses. Well, I, it's fine. I just put a little bit of honey in there to to sweeten it up a little bit, and I didn't. I don't find anything wrong with it. I've never had blackstrap molasses, um, but I was told it's very, very bitter. But it's been fine, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. But yeah, if you're interested in old drinks, um, or just uh, the older way of cooking things, like they did in the 18th century, yeah, check it out. It's, uh, the YouTube videos are Townsend's. Alright, so let's move on to our 11th entry. And that is Aden, or Aden. And that is a peninsula and town on the southwest coast of Arabia, about 100 miles east of the Strait of Babel Mandeb. This peninsula is doubtless the volcanic origin and consists chiefly of a range of hills not exceeding 1,776 feet in height. It is joined to the mainland by a narrow, level, and sandy isthmus. In a valley which forms the crater of a peninsula is about five square miles, but to provide for the growing population in an area of 34 square miles, on the mainland has long since 1880 been added. The town of Aden is in an oh indescribably barren district. The heat is intense. Aden suffers from want of water, and though it's sometimes called healthy on the whole, other accounts make it a very hotbed of disease. Pliny knew of the place, whose name he writes Athana, or Athana, it was known also by the name of Emporium Romanum. Up to the time of the circumnavigation of Africa, Adam so Aden, not Adam, Aden so favorably situated at the entrance of the Red Sea was the chief mart of all Asiatic produce and manufacturers, and even the Chinese traded here. Marco Polo and other voyagers of the Middle Ages told wonders of this, of the riches and splendor of the place. Ooh. In the course of time, however, it was reduced to a small village, which in 1838 contained only about 600 inhabitants, including some 250 Jews and about 50 Indian merchants. The increasing importance of the Red Sea route to India gave great value to Aden as a station for England to hold, and in 1838 the Arab Sultan was persuaded to cede the peninsula to England. He afterwards repented of the bargain, but was held to his contract by force of arms, and in 1839, January 11th, after a few hours' contest, Aden fell into the hands of the British. Here they have now a strong garrison and fortifications. In its medieval prosperity, Aden had, had a magnificent system of cisterns, for collecting the rainwater from the circle of hills that surrounded it. Who built them is unknown, but it is conjectured that they had been begun about the 6th or 7th century. They had been allowed to fall into disuse and were filled with rubbish and in ruins, 
But recently, now remember that recently here is in the early 1900s, a considerable number have been excavated and restored by the British government. If all restored, they seem capable of containing 30, get this, 30 million gallons. So 30 million gallons of water by these handmade cisterns that were started in the 6th and 7th century. Aden is of great importance in a mercantile, mercantile and nautical point of view, having a position between Asia and Africa, like that of Gibraltar between Europe and Africa. The population and resources of the place have rapidly increased since 1838, and the opening of the Suez, Suez Canal in 1869 gave it a great impetus. The annual values of its imports and of its exports range from below to a little above $5 million. That's right, $5 million in the early 1900s. Hayden is a telegraphic station on the cable between Suez and Bombay, laid down in 1870. Population 41,910, of whom about 30,000 are Mohammedans. And I know I just butchered that. Sorry about that. And for our next entry uh, is a name. And for that one, we go to the Encyclopedia Americana. And thankfully, I wrote down the page numbers this time, so I don't have to flip around looking for them. And I've also got them starred. Okay, and this name is Adenoir Conrad, or Conrad Adenoir. He was a German political leader, born Cologne, January 5th, 1876, after studying law and economics at the universities of Freiburg, Munich, and Bonn, he began his political career as deputy mayor of Cologne in, Cologne in 1906. From 1917 to 1933, he was Cologne's Lord High Mayor. During that same period, he also served in the provincial diet of the Rhine province and represented the center party in the Prussian State Council which was the president of the council. Oh, he was president of the council from 1928 to 1933. When the Nazis came to power in 1933, Edenoir was barred from all political activity and lived in retirement for the next 12 years. At the end of World War II, he was restored to his post as mayor of Cologne by the United States Army. Soon after, Cologne was designated as British territory and he was again removed from office this time by order of an official of the British military government who charged him with neglecting the rehousing program. He subsequently organized the Christian Democratic Union, which won a plurality in the August 14, 1949 election in Western Germany. On September 15, 1949, the Bonn Parliament confirmed his nomination as Chancellor of the German Federal Republic, with a bare majority of 202 of a possible 402 votes. A, wow, so he only won by two votes. Goodness. A vigorous opponent of German nationalist movements, he worked closely with the Western Allies in clearing the way for European unification. In September of 1953, Chancellor Adenauer was re-elected by a wide majority. So he did such a good job that they that more people voted for him. Now, this leads me to some uh, fast facts of these encyclopedias. 
Um, first, the Encyclopedia Americana, you have to remember it now, this was published in 1956, so this was written after World War II. So, it, and World War II was from September 1st, 1939 to September 2nd, 1945. So, not really that long after, just this was published 11 years after World War II. Now, um, the interesting thing about the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 was it was written before even World War I. Um, and I didn't look up the Civil War yet, uh, I'm going to do that to see when, how many years, because I don't remember off the top of my head when the Civil War was fought. But World War One was from July 28, 1914 to November 11, 1918. So it was it was published just a few years before World War One. So it was a few years after World War or after the Civil War, as far as I can remember. Uh, but I'll have th those dates um, after our next break. Let me just make a note. Uh, so we'll know how long after the Civil War was written. Because you can tell. Uh, you can tell the Civil War hadn't been that long in some of these entries. And you can also tell that uh, the other war wars haven't happened yet. <clears throat> Such as, the, you know, the, when I say other war wars, I mean World War One and World War Two. And in the 1956 one, you could tell that both wars had already happened. Um, so that's just a few little fast facts, and I will have the other dates uh, after our second break. Okay, so let's move on to the next entry. And for that one, we go back to the 1909 uh, New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary. And that word is... Oh, here it is. It's actually two words. It's um, adenitis, adenitis, and angeliocytis, adenitis and angeliocytis. Terms employed in medicine to indicate inflammation of the lymphatic glands and the inflammation of the lymphatic vessels, respectively. In most instances of acute inflammation in the absorbent or lymphatic system, the vessels and glands are simultaneously involved. See lymphadenitis and lymphangitis. Okay. Two giant words with a very short entry. And our 14th entry uh, is very simple. It's adenocle or adenocle or nozzle. Adenosal, or nausea, no, let's see, the, the um, pronunciation key is very weird compared to how it's spelled. Uh, I normally don't spell the words, but let's, let's take a look. It's A as in Apple, D as in David, E as in Edward, N as in Nose, O as in October, C as in Charlie, L as in Larry, E as in Edward, and this pronunciation key says it's adenosil. So, adenosil. And I want to pronounce it as adenocle. <laughs> but it's adenosil. And it just says same as adenoma. Adenoma. Okay. And I believe adenoma is later. Maybe. 
Oh no, no, that was earlier. Did we even have Adinoma? Okay, no. Okay, I see. I'm mis misspelling it in my head. So, let's just... I'm going to take a quick look. I don't... I don't see it. just says, same as Adenoma. Did I just miss it? I feel like I'm going a little crazy here. Yeah, so it's it's got a word that it's got a reference to a word that's not even in this encyclopedia which doesn't really surprise me that much um it, it is a little confusing so let me check the in, uh, encyclopedia americana really quickly No, no, there's no adenoma here either. Okay, so just a C adenoma, or the same as adenoma. Let me star that one. Uh, because that's really interesting, and I may have that one. I'll look that one up. And I was trying to see if they had ad adenosyl. Um, I don't even see this word. In the Encyclopedia Americana. I wonder if this whole thing, if that whole word is a mistake. That would be very interesting to find out. Again, that doesn't really surprise me. We've found several mistakes in here already. Um, okay, so let's get to our 15th entry before um, our second break. So, and that one is adenography. So, adenography is a noun, which is a treatise on the glands. Adenology, noun, that part of anatomy which treats the glands, their nature and uses. Adenoid, adverb, occurring in or connected with glands. Oh, here we go. Here we go. And it, if I had just been patient, here's the definition for adenema or adenosyl. It's a tumor originating in a gland and deriving its characteristics therefrom. Adeninus, adverb, resembling or referring to a gland. Adenform, adverb, formed or shaped like a gland. Adenitas, see above. Okay, so I'm going to make a little note here. This is the same definition right here. Okay, so that was not a mistake after all. So I don't need to even worry about looking it up. Because it did define it. Adenemo or adenosyl, which is a tumor. So that's a tumor. And it uh, originates in the gland. So it's a tumor of the gland. All right. Thank you for sticking with me and for uh, especially sticking with me with the confusion. And we will be right back after break. And welcome back. We are on our 16th entry, but before we get into that, um, as promised, I did look up the dates. Uh, the Civil War was from April 12th, 1861 to April 9th, 1865. So it was actually 44 years uh, prior to when 
1909 New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary was published. So it was 44 years. And not really that long ago, but, you know, it can seem like it. Okay, so our next entry is our 16th word, ataphagia, which is a noun. And that is, that just means a ferocious appetite. Ataphagious, gluttonous. So there we go. A big word for another small entry, but also a big word for a ferocious appetite. And our next entry is adepts, or adepts, which is a noun, and that is animal fat, lard, contents of the adipose tissue. In, I think that's in pharmacy, it's tallow. And the next word is adept, or adept. So the other one may sound like adept, but it's adepts. With an S at the end. This one is adept. The T at the end. And that is an adverb. Skillful, well-trained. One who is skilled or proficient. Adeptness, noun. The quality of skillfulness, proficient, proficiency. So, adept. Our next word is adequate. Adverb. Fully sufficient for, equal to, adequately, adverb, in an adequate manner. Adequacy, noun, the being equal to, sufficiency, sufficiency for an end. Adequateness, noun, the state of being adequate, synonym of adequate, sufficient, competent, proportionate, commiserate, equal to, enough. And our 20th entry is Aderno, and this is ancient Adrenum, and it was a town in Sicily, 70 miles northwest from Catania, at the base of Mount Etna, close to the Simoto, on which are some remarkable cascades near the town. It is surrounded by walls, is a very clean town, and is full of convents and nunneries, mostly founded by the Normans, so that bare walls of lava and grated windows appear everywhere, and the sound of bells is almost incessantly heard. Population was 19,600. Okay, our next entry, and before our Next break, um, we are in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary, and we don't switch back over to the Encyclopedia Americana until after we come back from break. And uh, this one is Adderbash, Addersbach Rock, Rocks, Addersbach Rocks, a remarkable labyrinth, labyrinthine group. Ooh, I like it already of sandstone rocks near the village of Addersback, Bohemia. The aspect of some parts of the group has been compared to that of a city ruined by a conflagration. One of the pinnacles rises to a height of 218 feet. The structure of the rocks has been produced not by any commotion of the earth, but by the influences of rain, frost, and other atmospheric changes, wearing down the soft sandstone into many fantastic forms. I would like to look that up. 
During the Thirty Years' War, the miserable people of Bohemia often found refuge here. And before I move on, I just want to make a quick comment about how my week has been. I hope everyone has has had a really, really good week. I had an interesting week. My car broke down twice. It had to be towed twice. I've never had a car towed before. I've been quite fortunate in that. Um, so, I've never had a car towed before and I had to have mine towed two times in one week. Uh, it's been it's been an interesting ride. I took my car in for a brake change. It comes back and it keeps dying. So you know, go figure. But it is an older car, to be fair. Uh, it's a it's a much older car, and all of these repairs uh, needed to be done anyway. It was just a matter of time. It's just it's always funny how you get like an oil change, tire change, or your brakes changed. I desperately needed brakes. Um, should have been done a long time ago, actually. Side note there. Um, and then something else breaks as soon as you get it. So, yeah. They claim they fixed it, but we'll we'll see. I won't have it in my car until Monday. Uh, which, you know, that, that's okay. <laughs> and my car's name, by the way, is Argo. It just a little, you know, piece of info there. If you, if you are interested, those of you who... Our Xena fans know exactly who, uh, what that is, or who it's named after. Um, so there we go. My car's name is Argo. If you have a car, if your car is named something, feel free to let me know. Go to theoaktreejourneys.com, contact me, and uh, let me know what your uh, car's name is. So mine is Argo. All right, so let's go on to the next entry, which is a Disney. In botany, that's a noun, the division or splitting of an organ usually entire. Atismaceous in zoology, having the shell not covering all the body, while the mantle is completely closed and tubulous. So it doesn't give any examples there of the type of creatures you would see like that. Um, which I, I prefer examples because I have no idea what they're talking about. I keep picturing a crab. Anytime you say... Creature with a shell, crab, <laughs> or turtle. Okay. And our next entry is adhere. Adhere is a verb. It means to stick to, to cleave to, to hold to as an opinion. Adhering, adhered, adherence, attachment to, adherency, noun, the act of sticking or adhering to, adherent, one who adheres to, a follower. Adjective, sticking, adhering, united with, in botany, denoting the union of parts that are normally separate and in different vertices, Adher ad adherently, adjective, adherer, noun, one who adheres, adhesion, noun, apply to matter, the act of sticking to, a union of parts of any body by means of cement, glue, growth, etc., in surgery, the reunion of parts that have been severed, steady attachment. So, so steady attachment in surgery. <laughs> adhesive, adverb, that will stick, gluey, sticky, adhesively, adhesiveness, noun, the quality of sticking or adhering, tenacity, synonym of, of adhere. Oh, and I do like the word tenacity, that's a good word. So synonym of adhere, 
to cleave to, stick to, attach to, cling to, fix on, hold on, of adherent, noun, follower, adherer, partisan, disciple, supporter, upholder, dependent. So, dependent, opposite of independent. Okay, let me just check this. Oh, I missed a word. I know I did. I was like, I, I, mean, I even have a list right here. And it's easy to miss. So before adhere should have been our 23rd word, adfected. So adfected, it's a very small definition, just kind of nestled between adism, adism, yeah, and adhere. So we have adfected. So it should be adism, adfected, adhere. So adfected, adverb, and I think that's algebra. Oh, yeah. So in algebra, affected is consisting of different powers of the unknown quantity. So for all of you math people, affected, you probably already knew this word, um, just consists of different powers of the unknown quantity. Okay, now we can move on to our last word before break. And it's a, it's a little longer entry. And if you noticed, we've had very few names. It looks like we only had a couple of names uh, in this, in today's episode, uh, which again is episode 27. Um, but next week, we have lots of names. And remember last week, we also had lots of names. Um, so brace yourself, uh, get, don't get too used to not having a bunch of names of people, uh, because that's going to happen again. And they're very interesting names, very interesting people. Um, I did read some of the entries as I was making today's list. Um, and I realized, oh, uh, yeah, let's cut this down because these, the people for next week are very interesting and I wouldn't have wanted to cut any of them off in today's um, episode. So here we go. So adhesion is our 25th word. So we're halfway there after we read this one. Adhesion, the species of attraction manifested between two separate bodies when their surfaces are brought to a considerable extent into close contact. It is nearly allied to cohesion. Adhesion is seen in the case of two solid bodies when their polished surfaces are laid on one another, but it acts more powerfully between solids and fluids, owing to their intimate contact. So I'm wondering if they're talking about like cake batter and stuff. We have instances of this in the film of water adhering to any body dipped in that fluid, and in water running down to the side of an inclined vessel from which it is being poured. All solids and liquids do not exhibit this mutual attraction. Thus, though bright metals are wetted by mercury, Glass and wood are not, nor does water adhere to fat. Capillary attraction is a special manifestation of adhesion. The adhesion of gases to the surface of solids is described by the Lieberg, by Lieberg as acting an important part in many processes. A more or less condensed atmosphere of gases surrounds every body, and every particle of a powdered or porous body, and gases such as oxygen have in this condition an intensified chemical action. Platinum, in the state of powder, condenses 800 times its volume of oxygen, and when hydrogen comes into contact with the oxygen, 
In this state, the two gases combine, though, when free, they require the application of flame before they will combine. Adhesion in pathology is when two surfaces of a living body become united. If they have been separated by the cut of a sharp instrument and are immediately and accurately placed in, the op in opposition to one to each other, they may adhere at once without any apparent bond of union. But usually, the blood vessels of the part pour out between the surfaces, a fluid consisting of the watery part of the blood holding fibrin in solution. The liquid part of this is reabsorbed or escapes from the wound. I'm getting ugh from reading this. Leaving the fibrin in which first cells are developed and then blood vessels, it is now a living tissue and forms a uniting medium between the sides of the wound. Ugh, getting a little wheezy, woozy there. Wheezy woozy. Serous membranes, as the pleura or the peritoneum, pour out this fluid when inflamed, and hence the adhesions between the lungs and the chest wall or between adjacent coils of intestine, which follow inflammation in these regions. If two granulating surfaces be kept in contact, the opposite granulations may fuse together and the wound unite by secondary adhesion. See granulation. Okay, so before we go to break, just quick little tidbit about me um my mother and I attended nursing school together uh, we we both decided we were going to be nurses um she continued on I however absolutely absolutely did not um I respect nurses um not be not just because my mom is one but uh what they have to do uh, I got through the uh microbiology and, and classes like that but as far as learning about wounds and uh, and stuff, I just couldn't do it. I, I just I couldn't do it. I just get too queasy. Um, so far, I have not vomited. Knock on wood there. But it just makes me really, you know, wheezy and woozy. <laughs> All right, and with that, let's go to break. Welcome back. So for our 26th word, uh, we go to the Encyclopedia Americana. And if you own a 1956 version of the Encyclopedia Americana, we are on page 138. And the word I have starred, actually I've got two words starred here. Um, but the first word I have starred on this particular page is Adabine or Adiabine. An ancient kingdom lying between the Tigris and its two tributaries, the Great and the Little Zab. In, at one time, it included all of Assyria proper and the Mesopotamian province of Nisibis, modern Nusabian, and the district of Ekbatana, modern Hamadan. In 116 AD, the country was conquered by Trajan, who made it a Roman province under the name of Assyria. Hadrian, however, allowed it to resume its autonomy under Parthion Cesaranti. Uh, the capital of the kingdom was Arabelli or Herbal. Okay, and uh, for our next entry, uh, number 27 is Adhibit. Let's go back to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. 
So adhibit is a verb, and it means to put to, to use or apply, adhibiting, adhibited, adhibit, adhibition, noun, application, use. All right, so that's our 27th entry. Now as I'm reading these, I'm also trying to think of a challenge um, to do with my friend Charlie. Now if you remember, if you recall from the past episodes, I mentioned uh, she brought up these challenges, uh, these writing challenges, and she finally gave me her crown, crayon, crayon. <laughs> uh, someone went, uh, asked me if I was talking about a crown, uh, as you put on the head, but talking about a crayon, so, or crayons. Um, I know my southern slang gets caught up in there, but it's crayons, or cra crayons. Um, our last challenge, she challenged me, we had to put a name of a famous person uh, of some type with a color of a crayon. <laughs> and uh, she finally gave me hers uh, on Friday. And hers were really cool. My favorite of hers uh, was Sunkissed, the drink. Uh, that was an, an orange color. Um, and, and Betty White. <laughs> Betty White was white. So... <laughs> Those were, were a couple of my favorite ones. She also had Big Bird on there uh, and, and Little Piggy. I hope hope she doesn't mind me saying any of that. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a really fun exercise. So the next challenge is on me. I have to figure out a challenge. So as I'm reading these, I'm trying to figure out, is this going to be a good word to put into a challenge? What kind of challenge do I want? Because so far we've done a 55 word story a two-sentence story, um, and a crayon challenge. So it's it's uh, it's a very interesting thing that uh, that we're doing, and it and it's really cool. It's been helping me with my writing. So if I'm stuck somewhere, um, I could just take a look. If I haven't finished the challenge yet, I could take a look at the challenge and and go ahead and work on that, and it jump starts. Um, where I'm stuck. So it kind of unstucks me. <laughs> so I'm a little, you know, so it's, it's been really, really fun. So anyway, let's move on. And uh, as I'm moving on, I am, you know, keeping in mind some of these words and entries to see if I can use for the next challenge. So we have, make sure I've got, okay, yes. Adding the tights, noun, plural, a genus of, of fossil ferns found in the coal measures, so-called from, the from their resemblances to the existing adiantum or maidenhair. Okay. And actually, our next word is adiantum. So adiantum, noun. And it is the... Herb maidenhair from adiantos, not moistened, so-called from the belief that they will remain dry. Oh, this is from the Greek. Okay. Though plunged among water. Maidenhair. Beautiful genus of ferns. So it's a fern. Oh, yeah. And the other one said it. Yeah, the other definition was a fossil fern. Okay. Very cool. And let me flip my page over to make sure we don't need to... Okay, here we go. So 
So we'll be going to the Encyclopedia Americana one more time before break, um, but not yet. And our next word, we're still in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. So it's it's a very small definition, big word, small definition. Idea for a noun, things indifferent, actions which one may either do or omit without sin. Okay, there we go. Never heard of that word. And uh, the next word is adiaphorists or adiaphorites, a party or wing of the Lutheran reformers of Germany who held that certain things practiced by the Roman Catholic Church were indifferent and might be received. In 1548, an ecclesiastical controversy broke out among the reformers. The Emperor Charles V, having issued a paper popularity called the Interim, in which he prescribed what faith and practice the Protestants were to adopt till the Council of Trent should dictate a permanent form of belief and worship, Morris, Elector of Saxony, urged Melanthon and his friends to decide what portions of the document they would accept and follow. Melanchthon considered that to a very large extent the interim might be accepted and obeyed. A controversy in consequence arose between the followers of Luther and those of Melanchthon and was called the Idiophoristic Controversy and embraced two questions. So here are the two questions. One, what things were indifferent? And two, whether with regard to things indifferent, the emperor could or could not in conscience be obeyed. Okay. Sounds really complicated, um, but very serious. And the next entry is adiaphorus, noun, indifferent neutral in its Old English. Adiaphorist, noun, one who is indifferent, a neutral. That's a possible word there. So indifferent or neutral. Okay, and our 33rd entry, we do switch over to the Encyclopedia Americana. And I thought this one was was interesting. I uh, as I was going through here, I just really really wanted to to add it. Um, it's Adi Buddha, and it's from the Sanskrit, the primordial Buddha, a conception of Buddha due probably to the influence of Christianity. It came into vogue among the northern Buddhists about the middle of the tenth century, and this conception. He is represented as self-existent and omniscient. Okay, so that was Adi Buddha. And for our next two entries before break, we go back to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary. And we have adieu. Adieu noun. And it's... uh, Let's see, I've got to figure out where... Okay, it's a do French ah to do God, a contracted form of the old French adieu suez, may you be with God. And this means adieu, I commend you to God, a farewell, an expression of regard or kind wishes on parting. Wow, so the word adieu, um, I've always heard it used kind of, I wouldn't say flippantly, but just... Kind of, I bid you adieu, you know, 
the something I've heard it kind of snarky like like a video would do. Um but wow, this has a deeper meaning than just bye, see you later, you know. It means I commend you to God. It's an expression of regard of regard or kind of wishes on parting, a farewell. So wow, how much deeper some words are. Um and I've written a blog about how we water down words sometimes. Uh believe I believe in this example I used the word epic. Uh, at one point, a few years ago, I remember everything was epic. Everything, every commercial was epic. Everything you did was epic. Um, but yeah, if you go to theoaktreejourneys.com and go to my thoughts and journeys, uh, it will, you know, just kind of scroll through there and you'll find, um, I've got lots of entries um, on my blog, but one of them, and I may have more than one because that's a huge, huge thing with me, how we just water down language sometimes. Uh, like namaste, a lot of people don't realize it means I bow to the divine in you. And there may be more to it than just that, but that's one of the main definitions. And, you know, whenever people just say namaste or... You know, I've seen it in a lot of... Uh, Adult cartoons, uh, where they're just kind of being flippant about yoga and stuff, and they and they say it, and they're like, "What does that mean?" Well, I have no idea. Well, it means I bow to the divine in you. Um, so I do. Um, I'm I'm gonna. This is worth repeating again because I, I love it, and I may start using the word adieu. Adieu. It's a. I commend you to God. A farewell, an expression of regard or kind wishes on parting. So adieu. Okay, and our next entry is Adige, Adige, the important, the most important river in Italy after the Po, rises in the Eurasian Alps. Various streamlets descend from these mountains and united, uniting at Glarus, form the Itch, which is properly speaking the beginning of the Adige. And the name by which the entire river is known in Germany from Glarus, it flows east into the Tyrol. Then after a slight detour to the southeast, it flows due south, past Trent and Roveradu into Lombardy, and passing Verona takes a southeast sweep, discharging its waters into the Adriatic, between the mouths of the Po and the Brenta. In ancient times, when it was called the Athesis, it had a more northerly embouchure. It is very rapid and subject to sudden swellings and overflowings, which cause great damage to the surrounding country. The two most remarkable indentations on record are those in 1721 and 1724. During the Italian wars, its banks were repeatedly the scenes of bloody engagements. Its length is about 250 miles, its breadth in the plain of Lombardy 650 feet, its depth from 10 to 16 feet. It is navigable as far as Trent, but the navigation is extremely arduous on account of the swiftness of the current. It is a, trans a transit river for the trade of Germany and Italy. Okay, and as, as I read this, as I read these um, directions of, of, you know, how it's, it says... It's 100 miles southeast of this and that. Think about that for a minute. 
we can go to Google Maps fairly quickly or just type into our web browser fairly quickly of anything we want to see and we have a visual of it. Just imagine if you did not have a visual of it and all you had was this new Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary. And remember, their goal was to be your main source of reading. There are no pictures uh, of this. There, there, there are no pictures of these volcanoes, of these rivers. There's nothing. All you have to go on um, is what's written here. Now, there are pictures of other things. Um, for instance, when we get to sculptures, a, a very specific type of sculptures, Agena sculptures, uh, there are pictures, you know, very rough sketches, but just, uh, just take a moment to appreciate what we have today and how quickly we can look things up today. And just, just, uh, as we go to break, uh, just, just think about that. So we'll be right back. And welcome back. Hope you enjoyed break. I grabbed some water and also hope you thought a little bit about what I said before break about um, being grateful that we have got maps and how you know not everyone had maps. Um, so I, I love where we where we are with the technology. It's pretty cool. Okay, so our 36th word, and just a note from here on out, um, between 36 and 50, we are sticking strictly to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary. Now, next week, we are going to go to the Encyclopedia Americana a lot, um, at least near the beginning. Um, I don't have all of the words typed out uh, that we'll be doing, but I do have the first few. Um... But right now, we are strictly with the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. So with that, our next word is adipic, or adipic, adipic, adverb. It's adipic acid of or belonging to fat, or adipic acid, which is C4H8, and in parentheses, COOH20... That too, that might be too. An organic diatomic dibasic acid produced by the oxidation oxidation of oleic acid, suet, spermaceti, and other fatty bodies by nitric acid. It is obtained in the form of soft, white, opaque, hemispherical nodules, which have the appearance of aggregations of small crystals. Its salts are termed Adipates. Okay, so that was our 36th entry. So our 37th entry is adiposur. Okay, so adiposur, or posir, adiposur, noun. A soft, unctuous, or waxy substance of a whitish gray or light brown color into which the muscular fibers of dead animals' bodies are converted, which buried in soil of a certain kind. Huh. And they're subjected to the action of running water or otherwise brought in contact with moisture. In such circumstances, the soft parts of the animal structures, instead of decaying, may become transformed into adipocure lean, 
Adipocure. Okay. Separate sentence. <laughs> lean or adipocure. Sorry. Okay. So lean beef kept under running water for three weeks was found reduced to a fatty substance. A piece of liver that has suffered fatty degeneration, if immersed for some time in water, is said to become exactly like adipocere. A notable discovery of adipocerated bodies was made in a Paris burying ground in 1787. Adipocerous, adverb, pertaining to adipocerite, noun, or adipocere, mineral, a fatty matter found in some peat mosses and in the argillaceous iron ore of Merthyr in Wells. When cold, it is inodorous, but when heated, it emits a slightly bituminous, bituminous odor. Huh. That's an interesting word. I'm going to underline that. Bituminous odor. Okay. And I'm going to write it down. Um, and here's an example of, it just gives you a tidbit of information and then pulls back. Um, so it doesn't go into any other detail of this, uh, Paris burying ground of 1787. It just stops right there. Uh, so if you are interested in what they found, how they found it, uh, you'll have to look that up yourself. <laughs> so, um. So again, that was a notable discovery. It was made in a Paris burying ground in 1787. So there you go. For those of you who want to look that up. Okay, our next entry is adipose. Adverb. And again, we're in the fatty tissue. Denoting the fatty tissue which exists more or less throughout the body. Adiposis, noun, great fatness or obesity of the human body. All right. And our 39th word is adipose tissue. A peculiar kind of animal membrane or tissue consisting of an aggregation of minute spherical pouches or vesicles filled with fat or oil. The tissue itself is organic and vital and vesicles secreting the fatty matter from the capillary blood vessels with which they are surrounded. The secreted product or fat is inorganic and devoid of vitality. The adipose tissue differs from cellular or fibrous tissue in having the vesicles closed so that the fat does not escape even when fluid. Oh, even when it's fluid. Okay, a dropsical effusion which infiltrates the fibrous or connective tissues does not affect the adipose tissue. There is a considerable layer of adipose tissue immediately under the skin also around the large vessels and nerves, and the omentum and mesentery around the kidneys, etc. Okay, and before we get to our next word, there is a typo. I just, uh, every now and then, randomly, there will be just these weird things at the bottom of these pages. There are no page numbers, uh, if, you, if you recall from the last entries or the last episodes, there are no page numbers in the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909, um, which is fine. Um, I, think it, I think it's cool, actually, that there's not, because when I first started writing and I didn't know what in the world I was doing, uh, I was offered, and as were a lot of people, if you, go, if you do NaNoWriMo, there's a lot of these offers. 
um, at the end of November. So if you've gotten through your 50,000 words, they'll offer you something. Um, one of the offers was, hey, we'll put your book, the, the novel you just wrote, in book format. So all you had to do was upload it. Well, it turns out there was more than that. Um, you had to format it. You had to create your own cover, which was a, a lot of fun. And it was learning experience, but I did not know a single thing that I was doing. I didn't have anyone to ask questions. So I just did it. Uh, and there are no page numbers <laughs> um, in this one particular, well, actually several. Um, I, whenever I started doing my family or giving my family Christmas presents with, you know, books with their names in them um, that I wrote specifically for them, especially for the kids, I did not put any page numbers in them because I couldn't figure that out. I just couldn't get the formatting right. It turns out I recently learned after doing this for, for a few years, but I recently learned that there are special programs that you, sh you should download and use. And that will help you with your page numbers. But I didn't know that. But uh, that's what I find really cool about this encyclopedia is there are no page numbers. So I was I was right on par <laughs> with my no page numbers. But anyway, the bottom of this randomly says volume one through seven. There's no reason for it. Uh, there's there is an entry um, that continues on to the next page. But volume one through seven, no reason. No reason it's there, except it's just an error. All right, so let's get on to our 40th entry. So add iron rocks, or add iron dax, not rocks, but dax. So add iron dax, a mountainous region situation situated in the northern part of the state of New York, having Lakes George and Chaplin of the east, Canada on the north, and the St. Lawrence River on the northwest, well, on the south, it reaches nearly the Mohawk River. In the midst, an elevated plateau 2,000 feet above the level of the sea extends over an area of 150 miles by 100 and five ranges of mountains running nearly parallel with each other traverse this plateau from southwest to northeast, terminating at Lake Champlain. The most westerly of these ranges is the Ad Iron Dak, or Clinton Range, which begins at Little Falls, and terminates at Lake Chaplin. The highest peaks of the region are found in this range, including Mount Marcy, 5,337 feet high, and Mounts Seward, McIntyre, and McMartin, Snowy Mountain, Mount Pharaoh, Whiteface, Dix Peak, Santinoni, and Colden are each nearly 5,000 feet in height, the general elevation of the range being greater than that of any other east of the Rocky Mountains. There are supposed to be in all as many as 500 separate mountains, wow, 500, in the Ad Iron Dax, very few of which have distinctive names. They all are densely wooded except the summits of the loftiest, which are rocky with only a scattered growth of moss and shrub pines. The valleys of the region are dotted with lakes, large and small, to the number of perhaps 1,000. The highest elevation reached by any of these being that of Lake Perkins, nearly 4,500 feet above the level of the sea. Some of these lakes are 20 miles or more in length, while many others have an extent of only a few acres each. The largest are Long Lake, the Upper and Lower, Saranac, Tupper, the Fulton Lakes, Pleasant, Rockette, 
Forked Newcomb, Colden, Blue Mountain, Eckford, Sanford, and the Henderson. This series of lakes is connected by a system of rivers and small streams, of which the Saranac and Ausable are among the most important, portent, important, <laughs> emptying into Lake Champlain after a general northeast course. The largest is the Rockette, which rises in Rockette Lake in the west part of the Hamilton County, is 12 miles long, and discharges its waters into the St. Lawrence. Okay. It's a fairly large entry, but we move on to our 41st entry, which goes right along with our last entry, Ad Iron Dak Park. A large district, principally forest land, set apart by the state of New York in 1892. It was established in order to preserve the great northern forests of the state and thus protect the watersheds, which supply the rivers and canals, for public recreation and for the practical study of forestry. It includes Hamilton County, the town of Wilmert in Herkimore County, the western half of Essex, the western part of Franklin, and the southern part of St. Lawrence County. The park abounds in beautiful scenery and contains many mountains, lakes, rivers, and forests. After setting apart this reservation, the New York legislator chartered the State School of Forestry, whose practical work is carried on here. If you work as a forest ranger, my hat's off to you. Uh, I find that job very interesting, and uh, I've wanted to work in forestry. It's just we don't have a lot of opportunities around here. I would have to move, um, and I'm not ready to move yet, but that is definitely something on my list that I would like to become a forest ranger because it, it just it looks cool. I'm interested in the in, in animals and plants and maintaining trails. Um, in fact, uh, I don't know if I should be saying this on here, but I'll, I'll just say it anyway. I am planning on creating my own trail uh, on my family land uh, soon. I'm hoping this winter, it might have to wait until, well, when I say winter, I mean fall. Um, I may have to wait until next fall to do it, but my goal is to be able to do it this fall uh, slash winter. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but I am going, I am planning on attempting that. So we'll, we'll have to see. And if I ever get it done, if it ever is done, uh, which we will still be in the encyclopedias, <laughs> um, then I'll let you know. But it's some, it's a project I'm very excited about. And uh, as with most of my projects, I've got a long list of projects. But anyway, all right, let's move on. Uh, number 42 is Edit. Noun, an underground gallery or tunnel into a mine for carrying off water or for extracting ore. And that's an adit. Okay, adjacent, adverb, lying near, bordering upon, contiguous, adjacently, adjacency, the state of being adjacent or contiguous. Okay, adjective. Name of one of the classes into which grammarians, yeah, grammarians have divided words, so-called not so much from its being added to a substantive as because it adds to the meaning, or more exactly, describes the object than the simple substantive or general name does. The effect of an adjective is also to limit the application of the name to which it is joined. 
Thus, when tall is joined to man, more meaning is conveyed. More properties are suggested to the mind by the compound name tall man than by the simple name man, but tall man is not applicable to so many individuals as man, for all men that are not tall are excluded. Nouns or names of things are often used in English as adjectives. Thus we say a silver chain, a stone wall. In such expressions as income tax assessment bill, income plays the part of adjective to tax, which is in the first place a noun. The two together then form a compound adjective to assessment, and the three taken together a still more compound adjective to bill, which syntactically is the only noun in the expression. Languages differ much in their way of using adjectives. In English, the usual place of the adjective is before the noun. This is the case in German also, but in French and Italian, the adjective comes after the noun. In these languages, again, the adjective is varied for gender, number, and in the German for case. In English, it is invariable, and in this simplicity, there is a decided superiority. For in modern languages, these changes in the adjective serve no purpose. The only modification the English adjective is capable of is for degrees of comparison. Adjectival, adverb, pertaining to, <laughs> so adjectival is an adverb. That's <laughs> a little funny. Okay, having the import or construction of an adjective. Adjectively. Adverb. <laughs> right? So a little bit of uh, info there. And our last word before break is adjoin. Adjoin is a verb, and it means to lie next to, to lie close to, adjoining, adjoined. Okay. And when we come back, we will look at the word adjourn. Okay, we'll be back. We'll be right back. And welcome back. Before we get to our last five words, I just wanted to do a couple of reminders. Um, one, we are going to have a deep dive podcast um, on August 31st. So I'm working on that. I'm extremely excited about it. Um, so that will be our bonus podcast. And uh, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about it. We will, as pro I did promise that I'll have it at the, by the end of the month. And it will be August 31st. So mark your calendars for August 31st. So I'm working on that. So super, super excited. Um, my second reminder is I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, one of my friend's websites, uh, my artist friend. Um, again, that website is mudpuppymoon.com. And if you're interested in 17th century or 18th century uh, living in foods, uh, don't forget to visit Town Sins on YouTube. So I just wanted to give those things just a shout out there and some reminders. And uh, let's go to our 46th word, which is adjourn. And that's a verb to put off from one day to another to delay. Adjourning, adjourned, adjournment. Now the putting off to another day. The time or interval during which the business is suspended, synonym of adjourn. I wonder if uh, procrastination is going to be a synonym. Um, to prorogue, prorogue, 
postpone, delay, defer, put off. Nope, it's not on there. Oh well. <laughs> and our next word is adjudge. Adjudge, verb. To determine, to decide, to award sentence. Adjudging, adjudged, adjudgment, noun, the act of adjudging, a sentence, synonym of adjudge, to <laughs> adjudicate, award, determine, decree. And our next word is actually adjudicate. And it means to give, to pronounce judgment upon, to try or determine as a court does, adjudicating, adjudicated, ad, adjudication, noun, the pronouncing judgment upon the decision or award of a court. Adjudicator, noun, one who. Okay. And we just check these off. We have two more. Uh, so two more words. So very, this next one is very, very easy. Adjudication just says see bankruptcy. So there we go. And adjunct noun. So before we get to adjunct, I uh, just wanted to say if you want to, uh, if you have any suggestions, uh, comments about today's episode or any other episodes, uh, go to theoaktreejourneys.com. Again, that is theoaktreejourneys.com. The link should be in the list uh, below or in the description of the podcast. And just hit, hit me a line. Send me a line. And uh, love hearing from everyone. Uh, so thank you. Thank you to my listeners who do contact me. I appreciate it. And just, just like contact me and just send me a line. It could be anything. It could be hi. Or if you go to my blog portion, which is called Thoughts and Journeys, you can write me a line there too. Okay, and our last word is adjunct, something added or joined, something added to another, generally to modify or qualify. Adjective assisting, adjunctly, adjunction, noun, the act of joining, the thing joined, adjunctive, adverb, joining, tending to join, noun, that which is joined, adjunctively. Okay, so there we have it. Uh, we went... From, let me get to the beginning of my page here. Went from a name, aid, comma, George, to adjunct. So 50 words. I know we, we uh, cut it down quite a bit uh, because last week we had two hours and I thought, well, that, that ended up being a little too long. Um, but I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Appreciate you being here. And next week we will begin with the word adjure. So that's adjure is our next word. And I am going to bid you um, adieu. So remember adieu. And God bless you all. Adieu.